4: Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more.
5: I
3: am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share.
5: Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.
4: Falling in love is the best feeling in the world. You see stars, you feel giddy. But sometimes that makes you do crazy things, and sometimes that means murder. Welcome to Crazy in Love, a production of KT Studios and iHeartRadio. Today's guests are true crime producer Jeff Shane and marriage and family therapist Conjit Farrell. Conjit has over 13 years of experience as a mental health professional in Los Angeles, California, She works with individuals and couples, as well as businesses and health organizations. Conjit is currently training as a mediator at Columbia University, and works as a professor at Pepperdine University. She can be found online at ConjitFarrell.com. Episode 14, the case of the rebel, the single mom, and the wannabe Romeo and Juliet. Joanne Witt wasn't sure she'd ever be a mother. A hardworking and gifted engineer, Joanne spent more time focused on her career working for El Dorado County, which is about 30 miles outside of Sacramento, California, than she did her personal relationships. However, at 34, she became pregnant with a man she was casually dating. Joanne decided to keep the baby, but leave the guy and raise her daughter as a single mother the baby Tyler became her everything Joanne wanted to offer every opportunity for the little girl she signed up for acting and horseback riding lessons and the two of them took adventurous sightseeing trips across the world Joanne bought a home in a wealthy gated community where Tyler attended school when Joanne wasn't working she spent every second with Tyler their favorite weekend activity was cooking dinner and watching movies at home She was a wonderful, caring, and affectionate mother. Tyler liked to say that in a lot of ways Joanne was a lot like a dad as well. Quote, what other mom catches snakes and lizards and puts them in aquariums? By all accounts, the mother-daughter duo seemed like a real life Gilmore girls. Here's Jeff.
5: However, you know, it wasn't always all sunshine and honey rainbows over coffee. There was one pretty traumatic incident. When Tyler was five, Joanne was driving her home one day, and the little girl was having a meltdown in the backseat, as kids do, and Joanne just sort of snapped. She pulled over, grabbed her out of the car seat, and hit her with a belt and slapped her. Tyler had bruises on her face, and when her daycare noticed the next day, they called CPS. Tyler ended up going to foster care for about a month before her grandparents ended up taking her in. And Joanne, as part of a court order, had to go to parenting classes where she would learn skills. And she took it very seriously, attended all the classes, and vowed that it would never happen again. Kanja, what do you make of all this?
3: The first thing that comes to mind is that even the most well-intending parents-to-be often underestimate the magnitude of the responsibility. Right, 61% of women report hitting, or beating, or spanking, or slapping their children. 41.6% of parents physically punished or smacked their child in the past year. And 50 to 60% of parents reported using mild corporal punishment in the last month. And so, raising a child is is a wonderful thing for many people, but it's also very stressful because children develop in stages. And it's almost like once you've mastered one stage and you're like, I know what I'm doing,
4: they're on to a different
3: stage. And so I think maybe Joanne was overwhelmed with some of the reality of being, you know, on her own and having to be a breadwinner and managing these different stages in, in um in Tyler's growth. And I just I wonder, you know, what kind of support that she had in place or, you know, if she if she had any kind of self-care or stress management you know, she could have employed or, you know, someone to lean on to support her through that time.
5: Well said, do you think that you can love your child more than anything and then also have a a break like this?
3: I do. I think that there's something called a stress diathesis. It's it's almost like if you think of a jar with a lid on the top and everyone has something that pops the lid off, right? So part of what therapy does uh, is help people become aware so they take care of themselves before the lid pops off. So I think she loved her daughter very much, but she was under a lot of stress and the lid popped off. And ultimately it's her responsibility, right? To not have the lid pop off. I don't think she woke up and was like, I want to abuse my kid. I don't think that's what happened.
5: No, because by all accounts, she loved Tyler more than anything. Like Tyler was her world.
3: Yep. Yeah, I think she was just very much overwhelmed, stressed out, and um, you know, she lost it. And and even though I think her intention was very good, still that is technically child abuse, right? In that moment, she becomes an abuser. That moment she becomes a perpetrator.
5: And what we do know is that she took it very seriously and by all accounts did everything she could to remedy it and make sure it would never happen again. So much so that when Tyler came back into the house, Joanne was almost afraid to discipline her. And what happened from there is it kind of spiraled into Tyler could do whatever she wanted without consequence. In middle school, Tyler started to get in trouble and run away from home. She even began cutting her wrists. Family and friends said that Tyler was once a sweet girl, but that changed as she got older. Another big source of tension for the mother-daughter duo was discussing who Tyler's biological father was. For Joanne, the topic was completely off limits. Kanja, there's a lot going on here as this girl gets older and her mother tries to love her and parent her. What do you make of all of this? How should Joanne have handled this?
3: I think this was yet another mistake on Joanne's part because... If you look at the situation, maybe from Tyler's point of view, if you were to get into the mind of of what a five-year-old, what that might be like, to be out of the blue, attacked by your mom, then taken out of your home, and then when you come back home, your mom is acting like she's afraid of you. Well, Tyler might think, it's my fault. I must be bad in some sort of way, right? So I think there was a sense of that. The mom was really trying to love her daughter and not cross a line, but in, in not enforcing some kind of discipline, it kind of didn't do any favors for Tyler. And then when, when I think about the conversation around biological parenting, if that's one that needs to be had, it is such a delicate issue. You know, I really, really think that for most people, it should be done in a therapeutic context. Because not only do you have to, as a parent, think about how do I address it, but you also have to think about what's going on in my kid's mind that's making them ask this question. Just know around age five, this is when the structures of the brain are actually starting to recognize I am a different thing than you, and there is something called the world, and it I'm starting to understand how this thing called the world works. And during this stage, because you don't know what the world is, you look to your primary caregiver for signs. So if you hear a loud noise, you don't know what it is. You look to mom. If mom screams, you scream. So if you have that mindset, imagine what that felt like for Tyler. To Her mom goes off and beats her. And then Tyler's looking at her like, what is this, Right. Why? It must, and then if the mom wasn't able to somehow make corrective action, what's left in that very immature mind? I must have done something. I must be bad. You know, if this would have happened at 16, it would have been a completely different kind of traumatic experience. But in these formative years, like five years old, I'm sure that left a pretty strong trauma imprint on Tyler.
5: Do you think that you can love someone so much that you want to keep something from them even though they want to hear it, but you don't think it's right for them?
3: You know, it's a difficult parenting question, right? Because if you don't tell them the truth, you risk har- harming the integrity in the relationship. But the truth may sometimes be so hard from a parental standpoint. You're like, I don't know if, if she could handle the truth. What would be more harmful So, I mean, to that point, I really think that this is one of those areas that it's best to have therapeutic support and really know how to approach this kind of conversation. You know, you really have to have context and do it in a certain kind of way.
4: In January 2009, Tyler was halfway through her freshman year at Oak Ridge High School. After school, Tyler liked to do her homework at the Habit Cafe in downtown El Dorado she could enjoy a warm drink and avoid being home, two things she'd grown very fond of. It was there that she met Stephen Culver. Lanky and sensitive, Stephen was five years older than Tyler. He had graduated from the same high school as she and was attending a local community college. He was also working at a taco restaurant six days a week. Stephen dreamt of becoming a math teacher. Despite the age difference, Tyler and Stephen had a lot in common. They both enjoyed the emo lifestyle, wearing dark and baggy clothes, listening to the same types of music, and watching anime. Known to his friends as Boston, a nickname that had stuck even after overcoming a childhood speech impediment that made him sound like he was from Massachusetts, Stephen did more listening than talking. Tyler and Steven became close quickly. They hung out virtually every weekend and spoke on the phone nearly every night. For the first time in years, Tyler finally felt heard. Three months after meeting, the relationship turned physical. Quote, we will love each other past death. I know I will never stop loving him, Tyler wrote in her diary. However, Stephen wasn't the best influence on Tyler. Together they smoked marijuana and took ecstasy and cocaine. But Joanne was none the wiser. Tyler told her that Stephen was just a friend, and to throw Joanne off the scent, she said that Stephen was gay. In April, the couple got devastating news Stephen's father was moving out of state. But the couple quickly came up with a plan. Stephen could rent a room in Joanne's house. For Joanne, the idea seemed solid. Stephen was kind and smart, he could tutor Tyler and help pay the bills with his $500 a month rent.
5: Yeah, for a while, this arrangement seemed to work very nicely. The trio split chores and ate dinner together like a family. And all the while, unbeknownst to Joanne, Stephen and Tyler were secretly together. However, a month after moving in, she actually ended up catching them in the act in Stephen's room. And remember, Tyler is 14 and Stephen is 19. So not surprisingly, Joanne is very angry. She ended up agreeing not to call the police if Stephen moved out immediately and stopped seeing Tyler he really had no choice, so he said yes. The day of the move out, Joanne was a little scared to deal with Stephen herself, so she had two male co-workers come over and one of them threatened Stephen, demanding that he stay away from the family. Kanja, what do you make, I mean, this is a mess, what do you make of this illegal teen romance and Joanne's handling of the situation?
3: As you were talking, I just was feeling my heart racing and my, my toes were curling. I can see what she was trying to do, right? She was trying to say, okay, Maybe my daughter's in love and maybe I can give them a chance. And, you know, maybe I shouldn't be too hard on her. Like I get that's where she was trying to go. But what was happening was that her daughter was being raped. 14 years old is a no-no age. That is a very much no-no age. And 19 and 14 is statutory rape. The only thing to be done in that situation if you're taking a a responsible parenting stance would be to call the police and get your daughter out of this sexual abuse situation. But again, I think, you know, we have the situation where she doesn't want to go too much. She's seen herself go too far. She doesn't want to go too far. And she loves her daughter. And maybe it's just love. But that reasoning just, you know, it's just not safe or healthy reasoning as a parent.
4: We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment.
6: Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave,
5: Putting yourself in Tyler's position, obviously from a legal perspective and from an adult's perspective, she's being raped and Steven's overage, but put yourself in Tyler's position, like what is her frame of mind? Can she feel like I'm really in love with this person and we should be together?
3: She's 14 years old. Her brain isn't developed. The part of the brain that is in charge of impulse regulation and judgment is not even formed in her brain. She is experiencing a strong emotion. It's probably actually limerence and not even love. And she just has no understanding of what this strong emotion is. So she's labeled it love. I can understand that she might have thought that it was love, but she really doesn't at age 14 have the capacity to really understand what love is.
5: What is limerence?
3: Limerence is, it's like lust. It's like a stage of love where your oxytocin levels are really high. You feel really obsessed with the person. You want to be with them all the time, right? That's limerence. Love is something that's longer. It's based on a longer attachment. It's based on an actual relationship that's evolved over time. So she didn't know the difference between the two.
5: Interesting. I've never heard that term. Well, not surprisingly then, the couple continued to see each other. After being caught by Joanne, Stephen ended up sneaking over at least 20 times to their house, and they continued to hook up when Joanne was at work and asleep. This worked for a few weeks, but Joanne ended up finding her daughter's diary, and it was pretty bad. Tyler wrote in graphic detail about their encounters and sexual positions that they were doing. She explicitly wrote, we were having sex. And not surprisingly, Joanne was livid and she called the police and they opened up an investigation into Steven. When officials called Steven about him raping Tyler, he denied the whole thing. We have that audio.
2: Have you ever had sex with her? Have you ever
6: had sex oh. with Tyler? No. Okay. And what's your relationship with her? He's like a sister to me. I understand she's 14.
8: I understand all this. I'm very, very scared at the moment. You need to be honest because it, it'll look a lot better if you just come out clean.
3: You know, Steven gives me the creeps. And I, I'll tell you why. Because remember in the beginning, he was all about listening and allowing her to express herself. Grooming 101. Learn about the victim so that you can learn how to manipulate the victim. So, is it surprising to me that he was kind of creepy and cold? No.
5: Do people, when confronted with something they've done wrong, do they often just deny it in your experience?
3: Depending on the type of person, depending on their integrity, depending on the consequences, sometimes yes, sometimes no. A lot of times people deny.
5: And, you know, at this point, from Tyler's perspective, she's just devastated. Her mom betrayed her. Her boyfriend's now in trouble with the police. And she and Steven were terrified that he would be charged with statutory rape and end up going to jail for 20 years. And it was really that fear that ended up driving them to come up with a deadly plan.
3: Even Steven, okay, even though technically he's an adult, His brain still isn't fully developed, the part of the brain that controls impulses and reasons. It's not developed in most males until around age 25. They're both here making these really um, immature, irrational decisions that have tipped over from being harmless to deadly.
5: What is Tyler feeling at this moment when her mom has, la- has turned her boyfriend in and how her boyfriend is facing what she thinks is 20 years in prison.
3: I think Tyler is feeling enraged, terrified, out of control, and unsure about what to do. What What is the thing that she can do to feel okay? What can she do to feel some sense of control? It seems to me that she feels very out of control and doesn't know quite what to do about it.
5: That feeling of out of control, I feel like a lot of these stories that we cover when people are in love and things kind of spiral, that's the feeling is feeling out of control.
3: Yes. Let's look at what out of control is. It's when a certain circumstance is stronger than your ability to cope with the circumstance, right? Whatever it is that's happening is past your ability to manage it. And when people are outside of their management ability, they do all kinds of things. So remember in the beginning when I was talking about trying to be aware of a stress diathesis and trying to self-regulate, keep yourself in a certain kind of alignment. Most adults can learn how to do that. And even teenagers, if they're coached. But if you have no idea of that, for some people, they don't even know how far out they are. They don't even realize they're so far out over their skis. They're just out there. I actually think all of them were very emotionally dysregulated out over their skis and didn't know what to do.
4: By June, the young couple decided to take drastic measures to be together forever. They planned to drive to San Francisco on their three-month, three-week anniversary, enjoy a weekend of sightseeing and then kill themselves. They were inspired by William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, which Tyler had to read for school. But the pair decided to add one fatal twist and get revenge on the person who tore them apart. They decided to kill Tyler's mother, Joanne. On Thursday, June 11th, 2009, at a little before midnight, Stephen arrived at Joanne and Tyler's home. Hours later in the morning, the couple cranked the air conditioning and left. The following week on Monday, Joanne failed to show up for work, which was extremely out of character. Her boss was nervous and ultimately went to Joanne's home. At that same time, Joanne's parents also arrived looking for their daughter. Joanne's father unlocked the door and let the police in and found Joanne's lifeless body. She had been stabbed about 20 times and police noticed that one wound almost decapitated the 47-year-old single mother. The big question was, where was Tyler? The star-crossed lovers were in San Francisco and had tried to kill themselves by eating Fruit Loops, cake, and rat poison, but it didn't work. Two days after finding Joanne's body, there was an APB for the couple and they were discovered by a local officer changing their clothes by a dumpster at a mall. They were brought in for questioning where Tyler played dumb. Here's a portion of Tyler's interrogation. You've been
1: arrested for murder.
8: What?
3: Who did I murder?
1: Your mother.
4: What?
5: Oh, I'm scared. We, are, and we, don't, we don't need to play this. We already know that you know that your mother's dead. You've been arrested for murder.
2: It's not
6: true. It's not this. she me this. I want you gone. How dare you?
5: You want an attorney and you want me going. Okay. That we can do.
6: And unfortunately we can't talk to you again. Good luck.
3: I think they were in fight or flight. At this time, you know, they're just going to do whatever they need to do to survive. I think we've left reason very far behind way back in the dust. And she just trying whatever she can in the moment. I'm going to say this, that don't work. What about this? Okay, I'll try this. Right. I think that's where her head is at. I I really don't think it's premeditated. I think she's just in the moment, just trying to see if something is going to work.
5: Yeah. I mean, I think the stereotype of a teenage girl is that they can lie probably better than anyone. Would you agree with that?
3: There is the ability to be manipulative. The reason that I don't know if I lean right to that is that it's right on the tail end of committing a murder when I think their bodies are going to be pumping with adrenaline. They're going to be in fight or flight. It's not the same as, you know, being over a friend's house and you sit down and plot how you're going to take something out of someone's locker. You know, I think their bodies and minds were in a state of fight or flight for survival. Say whatever, do whatever, whatever can be done.
5: I mean, you mentioned premeditated and maybe you were just referring to like her lying to the police, but they came up with this plan so much so that they rented a hotel room that they thought to turn the air conditioning on in the house. Like they clearly had put steps in place to attempt to get away with it, maybe. What do you make of that?
3: I think they were still acting out of fight or flight and survival instinct and just saying, "Okay, what do we need to do? Make it cold. Okay, let's make it cold. Let's try to cover our tracks. Clearly, they didn't do it that well. Right. So it's kind of like they weren't in in the frame of mind to make a sophisticated plan that might lead that in a realistic way wouldn't lead them to getting caught. They did it in a messy, sloppy, triggered teenage way. They didn't even kill themselves, right, when they set out to do that. It says a bit about their mindset and their capacity from my perspective.
5: And well, like you said, they didn't cover their tracks very well. And so the police definitely could tell that Steven and Tyler were both clearly guilty of something, but detectives actually believed Steven was the real killer. For starters, he had actually told friends that he stabbed Joanne, even showing them a bloody knife, which we should note, police never actually recovered. They also noticed that Tyler was less than hundred pounds. She was a small girl. So it would have been hard. They theorized to overpower her mother. Also what they surmised was that the air conditioning was left on to slow decomposition of the body. Mm-hmm. Him bragging almost to his friends, look what I did. Look what, you know, can you believe I did this? To me, that seems very immature and it just shows that they were, they were in over their heads, like you said. But I would have, I imagine you probably have a more interesting take on that.
3: They're certainly in over their heads. I don't know if they're in reality. If you are really in reality, are you going to be showing the knife to friends and bragging about it? Like all of these are indicators that they were just really out of their minds. I mean, and, and stabbing is so personal. That is such a personal way to murder someone. Right. And you have to be pretty far gone to get that knife in to the body all those times.
5: Yeah. Well, you talk about being out of reality and you know they're trying to act out a William Shakespeare story. They think they're Romeo and Juliet.
3: Yes, that, that's where I'm thinking, that's the direction I think this is in. They're they're playing out of fantasy, they're they're playing out of script, they're triggered, and this is their interpretation. I wouldn't put it past either of their mindsets to be thinking along those lines.
5: People look at Romeo and Juliet as maybe the most important love story of our time and they are now comparing themselves to that relationship, Mm
4: -hmm. which
5: is ludicrous. I mean, they were, she's a child, he's barely an adult and they've been dating for a matter of months. They're definitely not Romeo and Juliet, not even close.
1: Mm -mm,
3: Not even close, but you know, the theatricality is there, isn't it? Let's go big. The lines between fantasy and reality, so blurred here.
5: They're in this mindset that they are as in love as romeo and juliet were does that give them quote unquote permission to kind of go all out and have this crazy plan
3: i mean not in the real world i mean perhaps to themselves that could be how they self-justify because again remember their bodies are still new to them they might have had an orgasm and lost their mind like what is this thing they don't even know so they're like this is deep love this is what it is
5: we all can relate to being in love and that first love and that importance of that, when does it go from that to crossing a line to I'm gonna kill my mom to be with this person?
3: So Jeff, so here's the thing. Remember what happened when she was five. That's what I think laid the groundwork for flying off the rails she had this extremely traumatic experience by which she didn't understand what happened with her mom part of it could have been she thought she's a bad person she sees her mom again her mom starts treating her like she's uh oh dangerous she might have started a narrative in her own mind like i'm bad i'm bad that's who i am i'm bad so that this is a logical extension of that kind of trauma and what it can evolve into for some, if it's not treated.
5: And what do you make of Steven? Like, where does he fit into all this? Is she pushing him there? Or is he also just a creep that then they happen? To, it's a bad combo that happened to get together.
3: I'm thinking they're a bad combo that happened to get together. I think he, he has done some things that really make me very uncomfortable. First of all, the way he groomed her, then showing the knife. You know, what's his deal? And it, 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 he seems as though he's someone that doesn't really have anything to lose, right? He's like kind of in school and he's like kind of wanting to do this and that. And But he could, if he goes into this scenario, hey, he could be Romeo. He could be someone that matters, Romeo rescuing this damsel. If there was someone who really has some tendencies, I think it's him. If there were anyone we could call perhaps a sociopath or a psychopath, it would be him.
5: He's also plying a 14-year-old with marijuana, cocaine, and ecstasy.
3: Right, drugging, grooming.
5: Do you think the drugs come into play in terms of their behavior and maybe the erratic nature of their behavior?
3: I'm sure cocaine, marijuana, alcohol on a developing brain. I don't know. Did they say they were hot? I mean, I don't know if they were able to test, but...
5: Allegedly, they were snorting cocaine at least after the murder, because the same friend who saw the knife also saw them do cocaine.
3: Okay, so we know who the predator is. Introducing drugs and statutory rape and, you know, creating a scenario where he can be a hero, even in the midst of all this. Yeah.
5: Drugs like that take away impulse control, right?
3: Not just that. So the parts of the brain where... The judgment centers of the brain, which aren't even developed, are even further stunted with drug, right? So you you don't even have your normal judgment facilities, or normal, I should say, adult or fully matured. And then on top of that, you have a drug that limits it even further. So you're working with little to no judgment?
5: It's just a perfect storm, it seems like, because you look at Tyler. She's a girl who dealt with trauma. She has a strained relationship with her mother. She's now been groomed by a pedophile who she thinks she's in love with and then she's given drugs and alcohol. How could you not expect her to do something crazy?
3: Obviously, murder is an extreme. No one deserves to be murdered, of course. But if you were to ask me what I think she would get into some kind of devious behavior, yes, sure. It's more likely that she would than she wouldn't based on her experiences. Now, to this extreme, I think she needs the help of an adult who is giving drugs and plying for sex. To take it this far? Yeah.
4: When police confronted Stephen with all the information they'd collected, his only concern was Tyler. Here's a portion of his interview.
5: So with time. How is she? Better now. She's
3: probably
5: going through a lot. I'm just worried about her. On the surface, he seems concerned about her well-being, right?
3: I think it sounds good. I'm not sure that I totally buy that. He may have felt strong feelings for Tyler. I don't know if I buy that from him. I don't know that that's the only thing that was going through his mind. I think maybe that he felt that that was the best thing to say. I'm not sure if that was truly how he felt through and through.
5: Do you think he was trying to maybe draw attention away from himself?
3: I think, again, I'm a little disturbed by his calm demeanor and his role of only my dear Juliet. You know, that's all that matters. To me, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like he's still in whatever this role is that he's concocted for himself in his mind.
4: While detectives believe Steven was the one who actually did the stabbing, as the investigation continued, they uncovered more about the toxic mother-daughter relationship that would point them towards Tyler. When detectives combed through her diary, they learned that the girl had nightmarish fantasies about killing her mother. My mother is insane, Tyler wrote. I hate her. She continued by writing in great detail about how wonderful it would be if her mother died in a car accident. Her friends also told police that Tyler had confided in them that if she wasn't allowed to see Stephen, she would kill her mother. But perhaps the most shocking discovery was a call Tyler had placed to 911 less than a month before the murder. On the call, Tyler pretended to be her mother, saying that her daughter had hurt her and begging police to take her away. It was Tyler's attempt at getting out of her mother's house. During the call, Joanne discovered what Tyler was doing and took over. You can hear the panic and fear in her voice. Here's a portion of the call.
6: 911. Um, excuse me, um, my daughter, Tyler Witt, has physically assaulted me and she's vandalizing my home. Do you feel safe being on the phone with me? No, I do not. Yes. She would not go back into her room. I tried to push her back into her room, and we started to get into a fight. And I'm bleeding. Mm-hmm. Yes. That was
4: my daughter. Go
6: ahead. Send me to the report. Send me to jail. Is her
4: name
8: Joanne? Yeah. Are you
0: safe? Are okay. okay. Are you injured at all? Yeah, a okay. sure. We have deputies on the way. Thank you.
5: It's pretty bizarre. I've never heard anything like this. It definitely was unsettling to hear Joanne. She did seem scared and unsure of what to do. I don't know. I mean, Kanja, this is just, it seems like a mess.
3: It is a mess. and, And it's really sad. You know, what really got me was Joanne's response, right? Joanne being confused and again out of control and not knowing how to manage this this was really Joanne's moment to stand up and reassert her position as the mom in the house and try to bring some order to the situation but here again we have her kind of cowering to Tyler and again I I know that she believes she's coming from a good place because she doesn't want to go too far like she did in the past. But by not taking any kind of stance, she's actually doing the same thing in reverse. She's going too far in non-action, right? So first it was too far in action, now it's too far in non-action. And I think when I hear Tyler, I think of a, a, a child who is desperate desperate for guidance, desperate to get out of the house, desperate to escape her life to the point where she will lie. She, she's willing to lie and be taken away to jail. That's how toxic the environment felt to her.
4: Let's stop here for another quick break.
6: Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded We do today. We did good. good. The Black Effect presents family therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: Do you think that from Joanne's position, you can love someone? And think you're doing right by them, but really you're not.
3: Yes. I think that's Joanne. I think that was what Joanne was doing, Jeff. I think she loved her and didn't want to make the same mistake that she made in the past. But that wasn't the right thing to do. And she didn't have that information, the insight. You know, I don't know if she didn't have the time or the resources, but she just was choosing the wrong strategies for the moment heart was in the right place i truly believe that but the the method was not
5: well when the police arrived that night joanne was covered in scratches and bruises at the hands of tyler but she refused to press charges so tyler ended up staying home remember just a month later joanne was stabbed to death in this very house now despite knowing all of this police still believed that stephen was the killer. And while Stephen stuck to his story of denial, Tyler broke down and admitted her involvement in the planning, but pointed the finger at Stephen as the real killer. She passed a polygraph which supported her story. At this point, the court ruled that Tyler would stand trial as an adult, not a juvenile, and so Tyler cut a deal with the prosecutors that she would testify against her former boyfriend in court.
4: At the trial, Stephen had finally turned on Tyler. His defense portrayed him as a lovesick young man who got swept up with a young sociopathic temptress. According to Stephen, the night of the murder, he arrived after Tyler had already killed her mother. On the stand, Tyler also didn't help her case when she described having two super beings living inside her. An angel named Alex and a demon from hell named Toby. She told the stunned courtroom that Toby took control during times of stress. The prosecution asked if Toby killed Joanne and Tyler said she didn't know.
5: So the big question here, Kanjit, is portraying Tyler as a sociopathic temptress. Hearing this story, do you think Tyler is a sociopath?
3: I absolutely do not. You cannot diagnose a child as a sociopath, a psychopath, any of those things, because the personality has not yet developed. They can have features that appear to be going that in that direction, but it can be caused by a myriad of different things that with intervention when they're still young and their brains are still forming can perhaps reverse the course. So she was absolutely not a sociopath. Now, is there a chance that she might've had uh, the beginnings of a complex trauma like disassociative disorder where your personality splits off as a result of the trauma? That is a possibility. She may have had some kind of complex trauma response but sociopath or psychopath she was not
5: what do you make of alex and toby the demon and the angel on each shoulder that she's experiencing
3: i think again it could be a trauma response because if you look at it when you think about what happened with her mom whatever her budding self-concept was maybe she had a budding self-concept of her being a good girl good person and then this thing happened It created another dimension in her persona of her saying, maybe I'm not a good girl. Maybe I am bad and evil. So I think, again, that traumatic moment could have been the birth of that duality within her personality. And at 14, you don't even have the brain structure to integrate these kinds of things. That's something that happens over life and as you mature.
5: It's pretty disgusting to me that the defense would paint a 14-year-old, albeit maybe a murderer, But a 14-year-old as a temptress, like that is just pretty gross.
3: Yeah, she's a child. She's 14 years old. She's a child, right? It's really creepy that she was painted that way. Very inappropriate. I'm surprised they got away with that.
5: So while all of that didn't look good for Tyler, the prosecution had an ace up their sleeve. It turns out Joanne had trace amounts of DNA under her fingernails, indicating that she put up a fight against her killer. While there wasn't enough DNA to actually determine who the killer was, officials could say with 100% certainty that the DNA under Joanne's fingernails belonged to a male, which pointed the finger directly at Steven.
3: This entire case reminds me of the statements, the road to perdition is paved with good intentions and love is a necessary ingredient for a healthy relationship, but by all means not the only part of the recipe, right? So I think... In this case, all the people may have thought at some point that they were acting out of love, but because of other factors that got in the way of that feeling of love being translated into actual loving behavior. And I really feel that way in terms of Tyler and Joanne. I think they were both victims. I think they were both perpetrators. Uh, The person really here uh, that stands out to me as truly a perpetrator if we were to say, that would be Steven. I mean, he did not love Tyler. If you love someone who's a child, you don't have sex with them. You don't give them drugs. You don't encourage a killing as a solution, like all these things that he did. So I think if there were really someone at, at the heart of this, I think it's Steven.
4: After a four-week trial, when the prosecution and defense rested, the jury took just three hours to find Stephen guilty. The verdict came in on exactly the two-year anniversary of the police finding Joanne's corpse. As part of her plea deal, Tyler pled guilty to second-degree murder and was sentenced to 15 years in prison. She will be eligible for parole in 2024 when she will be 29 years old. In perhaps the biggest twist of irony, one Shakespeare would certainly appreciate, the prosecution commented on what would have happened if Stephen had in fact been charged with statutory rape. The fear that sent the would-be Romeo and Juliet spiraling into this entire tragedy in the first place. They said that had police charged him, the maximum sentence would have been a year in county jail, and in all likelihood, he wouldn't even have to have served any time behind bars at all. Instead, for the murder of Joanne Witt, Stephen will be in prison for the rest of his life with no chance of parole. Again, today's guest was mental health professional Conjured Farrell. Conjured can be found online at ConjitFarrell.com. Shameless plug. If you're enjoying Crazy in Love, leave us a review. To view our recent documentary, Murdered and Missing in Montana, you'll find it streaming now on Peacock. Follow us on Instagram at KT underscore studios. Crazy in Love is produced by Stephanie Lidecker, Beth Greenwald, Chris Graves, Lisa DiGiovine, Tim Hamilton, and me, Courtney Armstrong. Editing and sound design by Jeff Twa. Crazy in Love is a production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.